so Jesus, would you, would you draw those people to you? Even the person I'm thinking of, would you draw even the most unlikely people in our minds to you? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. And even with that second one, um, just recently I saw somebody who was one of the people I was thinking about, and I just thought, I can take five seconds to pray for them. So get out of your mind the fact that you have, I mean, it's good to have long prayers at times, but sometimes you might see somebody when, that you're thought about, or maybe you haven't even thought about praying for them, but you just have this sense of, you know, I would love if they followed Jesus. Just take five seconds, even while you're driving a car, and pray for them. I don't understand how prayers work, and I don't think timing of prayers weighs more on God's scale than short prayers. Um, but anyway, I just encourage you to continue to look at people not as potential converts, but people who Jesus, potential followers of Jesus, which is, we're not, we're not pushy on, on them. We're asking God to do something in their lives. So, um, another thing I'll say real quick, too, is, uh, what's that? What's, what am I doing? Nothing. Oh. Was there a fly on there? There was an ant on there. Demonically induced, I'm sure. Yeah, I would have probably turned around and been like... So, uh, the start of the service, I, I'm just, I want to make sure people, the start of the service, we're reading the psalm, if you weren't here, uh, and then when it, before we prayed, I had to pause a little bit, because I was getting teary-eyed, and I, I want to understand two things. One, I am, I feel more teary-eyed lately, because David graduated from high school, and it's the end of an era for our, our parenting world, but that's not where those tears came from, all right? And I'm also, I am no longer medicated on my narcotics for my back surgery, so it's not coming from there. So, uh, and I'm just, for me, whenever I, I'm just, and you, we all have different ways that God wires us, but for me, usually that, uh, when I have, I didn't, I didn't cry growing up, maybe as a kid when I had got hurt, but in terms of feelings, I didn't cry until I was almost a senior in college. I remember I cried one time and I thought, what? but for me, usually when I'm brought to tears, it, it to me is some kind of signal that the Holy Spirit's doing something in me, through me, or whatever. And I'm not saying that'd be manipulative, but we all have, some of you might see things or hear, but for me, when I feel a sense to cry, especially when it's not a sad thing, it's just like, okay, so um, I, I want to encourage you to kind of be listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit in that way, and usually it comes unexpected. Um, Kath and I were watching last night, and I told some people about it this morning. It was the history of Christian music, contemporary music starting in the 60s, and there was one slide, and this is not part of the sermon, this is just extra, it doesn't cost anything extra. There was, one, there was one part of the show where they were showing this church in Southern California, Costa Mesa, uh, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, that all of a sudden flung the doors wide open for hippies to come to church. People who were, and I'll just say it this way, instead of calling them hippies, let's just say people who were disillusioned or disenfranchised from church, because there are people like that today, right? A lot of people who have left the church during the pandemic are those disenfranchised, disillusioned people. But as, we, as they were... Maybe I should just preach my sermon. As they were flocking to the church on the TV screen and stuff, I just... I was kind of getting teary-eyed, and I said, I'm just like, Holy Spirit, do that again. Do that again. Anyway, 
So today's Pentecost Sunday. Most of you might, some of you might not have known that. Uh, that's why it's red. There's no, nothing biblical about the red, but just historically the church is, you know, Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50. It's a Greek word for 50. And the reason uh, it's celebrated is 50 days after the Passover in the Old Testament when they got out of Egypt and the paint the blood on the doors, 50 days after the Passover, they celebrated what they called Pentecost, which was a looking back and celebrating what God had done in, 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 the, in the Passover. It's also called the Feast of Weeks, but it means 50. So 50 days after the Passover, when they left Egypt, they celebrated a holiday or a spiritual holiday called Pentecost. And for every years and years and years in the Jewish world, they kept celebrating that. And it was typical that you would come back to Jerusalem when you could and celebrate the 50, day, the 50 days every year after uh, Passover, and it's called Pentecost. So, so it's, and today is called Pentecost Sunday because the Pentecost event of Acts 2 happened 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So it's like God wasn't just randomly doing that. There was a clear sense of 50 days after freedom, we're going to celebrate the provision of God, and it was through the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost, and some of you, you know, we hear terms like Pentecostal. That's a denomination, and we kind of get, sometimes we can get weirded out by that. We think of people, or I think of people, that uh, women don't wear makeup, have long hair, long dresses, and guys just are stiff or whatever. Stereotyping, all right? Um, that doesn't mean all Pentecostals are that way. But the word Pentecost preceded Pentecostal. So this is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day of the Holy Spirit. Today we, at least like Christmas, we recognize the birth of Jesus. Today, like, let's, let's at least think about the Holy Spirit. Let's think about why God does that, why he did that, and why he keeps to stir things in us. So, and it fits really well in a weird kind of way because Matthew chapter 12 is what we're looking at today. I have a new series called Following Jesus. Yeah, go back to the red. Yeah, follow Jesus. There's no one like him. The Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is just laser focused on helping us see Jesus. Um, Matthew was the unlikely convert. Probably he would probably be in the unlikely convert Hall of Fame. Um, but he was so captured by Jesus, not by religion, not by the church. There wasn't a church then, but you know what I mean. Not by organized. He was captured by Jesus. So he wants to see things. So this is Matthew chapter 12. And we skipped ahead during Easter and Matthew, but I think we're almost done with Matthew. Um, but this is Matthew chapter 12. Again, these are just more accounts of what happened in the life of Jesus. And there's a connection here to Pentecost, Holy Spirit. So we'll, you'll see that. And it, this is not a forced connection either. So in this, in this chapter, uh, go to the next slide. We get back to these guys again. All right, the Pharisees. The teachers of the law, who uh, some of them had good hearts, but most of them were uh, all about being religious. Organized religion isn't bad, but organized religion that becomes religious and uh, arrogant, um, selfish pride. And most of all, they were image management people, which means they cared about every, how they looked. The biggest sin of the Pharisees was not their misinterpretation of the law. The biggest sin of the Pharisees was image management. They wanted to look good to people. And it's not, not any different today. We have that same sense. We want people to think we're more spiritual than we are, or we want them to think, you know, so we do and say things that feel spiritual. So that's what, you know, we all do that, but the Pharisees had made a, an art of it, 
and they were really good at it. I mean, they knew the Bible better than any of us know the Bible, at least the Old Testament. Um, they obeyed the laws, but it went beyond that, and it became, they were hard toward God, but they were like super toward religion. So I'm just reintroducing them to us. Uh, I took my face off there, not because I'm not, can't be one of them, but it was just kind of peeling off the tape, and you're like, yeah, sure, right, whatever, anyway. But, because I think we can all be that way. So I'm just saying that to kind of, not to warn us, but just to say, hey, just show up in us in a lot. Always remember, we have that, we can, the same spirit of the Pharisee can, can show up in us in a lot of ways. So there's going to be four scenes we're going to look at where the Pharisees challenge Jesus. So if you read the Gospels, if you read them in that sense of the challenge between Jesus and the Pharisees, it's, it's all over the place. It's kind of like, you know, it's like I said before, but the soundtrack of the Gospels is not Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The soundtrack of the Gospels is like the soundtrack from Braveheart. Boom, 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 that kind of stuff. So go to the next one. There's four different little vignettes in this chapter. All of them have to do with the Pharisees. All of them have to do with challenging Jesus. And all of them have to do with them exhibiting the spirit of religious pride the spirit of organized church, and uh, watch the news at all, that's, you know, a lot of people are disenfranchised and disillusioned by organized churches who, you know, whether it's closing their eyes at sex abuse in the clergy or arrogance and pride in leadership or money or whatever, it's no different today. So don't, don't think that... Okay, sorry. I've said before, I used to teach junior high, and the kids would tell me, hey, you walk around way too much and you bump things over. That's okay, just leave it like that, babe. We'll, you gonna refill it? I can, I'll do it before communion. So, I'll move this back a little bit too. <laughs> yeah, that'll be the only thing you guys remember today from church. I don't know what he talked about, but he knocked over the communion cup. So, well, I moved that back. I moved that back. So, and I'll move it up a little bit further. Okay, vignette number one, all right? Matthew chapter 12, and I'll just, I'm just taking verses. So number one, some Pharisees saw them, and I'll tell you what they were doing in a second, and protested. He saw, they saw Jesus and his disciples. Look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. They were actually walking through grain fields, breaking off heads of grain and eating some of the grain because they were hungry. And it's like, Really? I mean, they're just hungry. But according to Pharisaical law, because Pharisaical law, Pharisaical law takes the commandments of God and made traditions out of them that weren't God's intent. Oh, you guys are you're, you're harvesting grain. Like, no, we're just hungry. And, and they kind of play this game. And one of the things Jesus said to them, I, I want you to show mercy, not just offer sacrifice. In other words, it's not just a matter of you doing all the right things. I want to see a merciful spirit emerge in you. I want, I, 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 I want to be about mercy, not just offering sacrifices. Sometimes Jesus even says, I don't really want your sacrifices. I want mercy. So he kind of pushes back on that spirit of, of legalism and being religious, all right? And, uh, of course, the Pharisees aren't happy with that. Next one. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. All right? So it's... In the Sabbath being Saturday, it was the day of rest for the Jewish people. And the, you know, there is a commandment that says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. There's a sense of honoring, the sense of rest and slowing down. But again, the Pharisees had turned that 
command of God that was meant to give us life, they turned to this incredibly burdensome thing with hundreds of rules of what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath because they were in charge, all right? So this particular Sabbath, Jesus went to a synagogue and he saw a man with a withered hand. Then this is the very next text. The Pharisees asked Jesus, so there's a man with a withered hand, wizard, withered hand sitting over there. Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? I mean, how cruel, for one. The guy with the withered hand is sitting right over there. Jesus is wherever, and the Pharisees are like, does the law permit? And they're looking at him the whole time. Does the law permit? And you, could, you, could, you I hope, would feel the exasperation of Jesus. like, Ugh. And Jesus says to them, you know, if one of your animals fell into a pit on the Sabbath day, you'd get it out. And it, it doesn't violate the Sabbath law because that's what you've made it to be. He says, how much more... If someone, if a human being is broken and I can bring wholeness to them on the Sabbath, how much more? And he heals the man's hand. He says, how much more, how much more is a person valuable than a sheep or a donkey that falls into a pit? This is what's shocking about this passage too. Here's how this section ends. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. They were so, and when you read that, it's, I'm just like, what, what? They're going to kill Jesus because he healed a guy? It wasn't because he healed a guy. It was because he was messing with their system. That's why they wanted to kill him. It wasn't like, oh, this man shouldn't have been healed. And they, didn't even, they wouldn't even argue that, oh, you know, Jesus shouldn't have done it. The they were, he was continually going against their spirit of religion, their image management, and their sense of we are the ones who know and nobody else can know spiritual things. All right? Which, again, that's the source, I think, of disillusioned people in our culture today with the church is that kind of thing. So anyway, that, that went into that way. Next one. So he does another miracle. This time he actually casts a demon out of somebody. There was a man who was blind and couldn't speak. The Bible tells us he was uh, harassed by a demon. Demon possessed, you could, better way to translate is demonized. So it's kind of demon harassment in a sense. There's different variations of that. But Jesus healed him. And, and, and the crowd is amazed. They're like, oh, could this guy be the son of David? Is he the one? He the one? <laughs> when the, and then when the Pharisees heard about this miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power of Satan from the prince of demons. And again, it's one of those things that's like, really? I mean, he literally just cast a demon out. Now you're saying, well, he only can do it because he's in cahoots with Satan. Satan gives him power. And that's where Jesus um, plagiarized Abraham Lincoln and said, a house divided itself can't stand. Why would Satan do that? Um, I was at Ivy Tech one time in Bloomington. They had a, all these plaques of famous sayings, Abraham Lincoln, house divided can't stand. And I thought, well, he didn't really say it. He wasn't the originator of that one. It was Jesus. Lincoln just stole it from him. But, but anyway, Jesus just said, why would, I, why would Satan cast out Satan? All right? And then the last one of this particular chapter, uh, one day, teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, so they're, they're intentional about this. They've planned this. They've probably talked about what, what question can we ask him, who's going to ask it, and how do we want to catch him? Because they're convinced that if he doesn't adhere to their system of religion, 
Um, that's why they want to kill him. Because remember, they still want to kill him. They just, we just found out about that. All right. So but this, and Jesus says, only an evil and adulterous. They, they say, what, you know, show us a miracle. Prove it. And Jesus says, only an evil and, a, evil and an adulterous generation asks, demands, not asks for, demands a miracle. I think it's okay for us to ask God for miracles. But when it becomes a demand, Jesus says, and he's just... You could, you could almost feel the exasperation of Jesus with all these stories because they're just like, they're so much into the right way to do religion and the right behaviors and let's be critical of those who don't behave the way we think churches should behave. Somebody once told me years ago with something with Exodus, they said, well, every church does that. And I, I remember I said to them, I said, well, I, I don't want to do it because every church does it. Let's figure out what does Jesus want us to do? Because we don't do things because the church, other churches tell us to or the culture tells us to. So this chapter, again, I, Matthew is just showing, okay, this vast separation and tension between those guys and Jesus. Not just those guys, that spirit that still exists today and can pop its head up in our hearts, probably in ways we don't really want to admit. It's the sense of when you, uh, whenever you find yourself being judgmental of somebody else, judgmental, I don't mean discern. I can discern if somebody's really doing some things that's destroying their soul or, you know, a guy's abusing his wife. That's not judgmental. I'm discerning that's evil. But judgmental is when I kind of jump to a conclusion about somebody before I really know the whole story or we kind of assume uh, I'm better than them. So part of the Pharisee spirit was I'm better than that Christian. And I'm better than that person because I'm a Christian. And that's never the spirit of Jesus. He doesn't tell us we're better than people. Um, so that's like boom, boom, four times. Just in this chapter, let alone the, whole, the early parts of Matthew. It's just like, if this, was, if this was a movie, the whole movie would be confrontations with the Pharisees. Most of Matthew, then you throw in there, then you have all the Jesus miracles. So, but then right in the middle of the chapter, Jesus says something about the Holy Spirit that, that again, I'm going to connect to Pentecost, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, it, I think it's kind of interesting. When it was, so here's what he said. This is uh, after the first three little stories and before the fourth. But I think Matthew put it here for a reason because it connects to all of them. He said, so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy, and we'll talk about these words in a second, can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. I mean, it's pretty stark, strong wording, either in this world or in the, next, in the world to come. All right, so blasphemy is any time, the general definition, but even the definition of Scripture is speaking in an irreverent way toward God, insulting God, showing contempt for God. You know, so, uh, you know, there was a, just recently I saw it in uh, some Catholic church in Brooklyn, somebody broke off the heads of some of the statues of saints in the church. That People would say that was blasphemy. But even, it's not just actions like that, it's, it's an attitude, it's a spirit where you, you hold, this is, how, this is your posture toward God. It, it's in, or, and you even have a contemptuous, insulting attitude toward God. And that's blasphemy. And so, it's pretty strong here if Jesus says, 
blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, against the Holy Spirit, it's not forgiven. It's like, whoa. I thought you were an all-forgiving God. No, but that's not forgiven. He says it a couple times, you know. And you can speak against, Jesus even says, you can speak against me, the Son of Man. You can be forgiven, but don't speak against the Holy Spirit. Don't fight the Holy Spirit. Even Stephen, even Stephen, I didn't mean to say it that way, but so a few, a few uh, into the book of Acts, after the day of Pentecost, when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are so upset that the, the apostles are talking about Jesus and healing people, and they're not upset about the healing of people, they're upset that they're doing it in the name of Jesus, who they just had crucified 50, 60 days earlier. And, as, and, and Stephen, one of the early leaders, was one of the disciples, he was actually a deacon, he gets up and t- tells them their you know, history of their own nation. They all knew all this, but he said, you, it's pretty strong wording, and you'll see what happens because of it, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He's saying it to these guys. He, say, he says, he might say it to some of us at times, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You did in the Old Testament with the prophets. Blah, 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 blah. You were fighting against Jesus, and now you're still fighting against the Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, they proceed to stone him, stone him and he's dead. Because you could see how if somebody were to say to you or me, you always resist any kind of spiritual movement in your heart. And it's a strong statement. In that, their case, it was absolutely true. And so they're like, so, inst- I mean, you can imagine that kind of rage. All right. So Jesus is talking about don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which is what Stephen was saying that you resist. So think of blaspheming the Holy Spirit is resisting the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying throughout these four different vignettes from Matthew chapter 12, you guys don't get it. You're all about the spirit of religion. You're not about the spirit of God who will work through the commandments to bring life to people. Jesus never erased the commandments, but he, he embraced the right understanding of them to give us life, not more burdens. So then I asked myself the question this week, okay, if if the greatest sin that can't be forgiven is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, what's the opposite of that? Because if the greatest sin is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the opposite of that must be like really, really good to do. If that's so bad, what's this? And I immediately thought of this. This is what Jesus wants. The opposite of blaspheming the Holy Spirit is honor the Holy Spirit. Honoring the Holy Spirit, I'll I'll use other words, listen to, give space for, adore. So Jesus is saying in the midst of be done with religiosity. And he's beginning even here to raise the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if blaspheming is so awful then this must be so wonderful to live a life that way. So this honoring the Holy Spirit then. Go to the next one because this is early in Matthew. John the Baptist says this about Jesus. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus was, as Matthew was laser focused on showing us Jesus, Jesus is pretty laser focused and very protective of understandably the Holy Spirit and of course when Pentecost happens he tells he actually tells him at the time 
okay, I'm going to go to heaven here. He didn't tell them, plan a big campaign, get a big tent, have a crusade. There's nothing wrong with those things, but that's not what he told them initially. He said, wait. He left after 40 days. They waited the next 10 days till the whole 50 of Pentecost. And, of course, they weren't doing the math. They didn't understand what was going on. They waited for 10 days. They weren't all sitting in the upper room just waiting. I'm sure they kind of went about their business, but gathered there, gathered there, and gathered there. And maybe you or me, maybe we're waiting for a promise of the Holy Spirit to be fulfilled in your life. Maybe there's a promise you feel like God's given you and you're waiting. You're like, I'm kind of tired of waiting. Well, Jesus says, wait. Don't try to force it. And definitely don't, give back, don't fall back into religion. So, I know Pentecost Sunday is like a, just a traditional liturgical kind of thing. But in the same way, I think it's good always for us to be reminded. And, of course, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit just on Pentecost Sunday. But I think especially today, I'm just going to encourage you to maybe shift something in your own life where you give more space to honoring the Holy Spirit. Maybe that means if you have a random thought sometimes, especially if the thought is accompanied with kind of, hmm, where'd that come from? Especially if it's a thought of doing goodness towards somebody or maybe a thought of forgiving somebody or maybe you think of somebody you haven't thought about in a long time and maybe I'm supposed to pray for them. Just give random thoughts a little bit of time to see, is that from the Holy Spirit? What do I do with this, God? Or maybe it's just simply saying to the Holy Spirit, hey, well, I'm going to welcome you. I welcome you into my life. I mean, one of the things I pray for my kids, my wife, and I pray for all of us at different times, Jesus, fill, me with your, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Because we all have the Spirit in us, the Bible says that. That doesn't mean it's full. I mean, there's, there's water in this bottle, but it's not full. Jesus, I'm asking that Jesus would fill me, fill you. You know, we can have water in us. We can have the Spirit in us, but it's not full of it. So, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Go to the last slide. Is there one more? Yeah. It's just back to the original statement of the Gospel of Matthew. Just follow me. And part of following Jesus is honoring the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's like really, really important to Jesus. And I don't mean like really, really important compared to other things. It's like the, one of the only things that's important to him. And as he gets ready to his death and resurrection and first chapter of Acts, you can tell that's what he wants them to understand. He's pointing to the Holy Spirit of God, part of the Trinity that comes into their life. Wait for this, and you will be endued with power from on high. And uh, that's why I think last night when I was watching this documentary about Christian music and all these people coming into the church, I'm just like, Holy Spirit, do that again. Do it again when there's a movement of disenfranchised, disillusioned people a lot of ways understandably toward the church but please soften their hearts towards Jesus and please change the church so people that are disillusioned with the church can come into church to see Jesus clearly that's shouldn't it, that that's what that's what needs to happen i mean there's uh, i'll finish with there's a song that 
It's kind of funny. When I was in church, not funny, but it's funny. The church I grew up in was very, we didn't have these kind of hats, but we were kind of this way. Um, didn't, like our, our youth group uh, would always have a, a big banquet on the night of the prom because they didn't want people to go to the prom because it was like ungodly. And th- th- those kind of things, you know, that you couldn't be in leadership if you ever went to a movie theater. So it was just kind of like, what? Good intentions, like everything they started, good intentions that came, that, that came entrenched in tradition and legalism and arrogance toward God, really. But I was also in, like, they, we had a lot of big youth group and a lot of music competitions, and I was in a group. Um, we had to wear blue sport coats, and the hair could not touch the ears or the collar. All right, that was spiritual, right? Really? Yeah, it was. John, sorry, you're out. <laughs> And so, but one of the songs we sang was, which is funny because I had a great pastor, taught us the Bible, but I think one, a a big, a big, big, big blind spot in the church we were up in was the Holy Spirit. For that matter, I went to Trinity Seminary, which is the Trinity, you know, it was required to take a class at Trinity on God the Father and Jesus the Son. If you wanted a class in the Holy Spirit, you had to use your elective hours. It's like, Really? Now that's changed at that seminary. But it's like, but in this church, we ha- so we had this singing competition, and one of the songs we sang was about the Holy Spirit. And now I look back and think how ironic that we sang that when that's not at all the posture of the church. It was never a posture I was taught. It was just a nice song that sounded good that might win a competition, right? But it went this way, and I'll sing it. I won't sing the whole thing, but I just, it, I, I listen to it now, and I'm just thinking, that is the prayer of the church, but it was like uh, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. He came in mighty power then. His witness through believers won the lost, and multitudes were born again. The early Christians scattered o'er the earth. Just to lighten my mood. A couple weeks ago, David's girlfriend came to church on the way to church. He told her, I bet my dad cries today. Anyway, (laughs) I'm just trying to lighten my mood there. (laughs) And I think I did. I'm not sure if he had any money on it with his girlfriend, but I think I did. But the chorus goes this way. Come, Holy Spirit, dark is the hour. I think things are pretty dark in the church in some ways, and maybe in the culture today. There's... Come, Holy Spirit, dark is the hour. We need your filling, your love, and your mighty power. Move now among us. Stir us, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. And I love the last line. Revive the church today. Revive the church today. And uh, I've actually started praying for revival in the church, and I don't mean just us, I'm, I, I pray for revival in the church of Bloomington. Everybody of Christ, that's everybody who has the spirit of Jesus in them, whether they're Methodist, Baptist, read the King James Bible or modern translation, or if they're Catholic, wherever they are, if they have the spirit of Jesus in them, they're the church. And uh, so I pray for revival, but I, I do pray for revival for us, you, me, your kids, your husband, your wife. So uh, let's close your eyes and... Uh, if you would do this for me, just on maybe your right hand or left hand, whichever, just put it on your lap open in front of you, open up toward heaven. 
and I'm going to simply, uh, but real clearly, ask you, God, um, would you revive our individual hearts if there's things you need to shake up or remove, or if there's just life that you can infuse inside of us, life from your spirit, not not caffeinated energy, but life from your spirit. We, we welcome that, so we open our hands to that. Um, and would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Whether we're quarter-filled, half-filled, three-quarter-filled, whatever we are, we don't, I'm not trying to put numbers on that, but would you f- give us a greater filling of your spirit? Because you even said that when, we're, when we follow you, we gush out like a stream of living water toward other people. So would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Um, would you revive us? Would you revive the church? And I include in that Exodus church, but I also include other churches in Bloomington where there are people who follow Jesus. But I pray even this Pentecost Sunday, not that you're restricted by calendars, God, but I just pray that for the pastors in Bloomington who have the spirit of Jesus in them, I pray for the leadership of the churches in Bloomington, and I pray for every girl, boy, man, and woman in those churches that you would revive our hearts with the spirit of Jesus poured into us, and would you break the stronghold of religiosity, image management, and a pharisaical, judgmental spirit. Would you break that in us? Would you break that in me? I don't want to be that way. People, I know people here don't want to be that way, but we find ourselves defaulting that. So Jesus, we love you, and uh, we, we are committed to honoring your Holy Spirit in ways that you define, not us. And, and we ask this all, Jesus, in your name. Amen.